Isn't it true how important the Bible is? And yet sometimes by our reading habits, I say our reading habits, including myself, um, it doesn't seem to be very important. You know, actions, they say, speak louder than words. And so sometimes we have to look at our own actions and kind of have a little powwow with ourselves. Uh, I recently was somewhere, I can't remember where it was. Oh, it was at uh, Calhoun Community College. They had a motivational speaker. And so he was motivating people. And, and one thing that he was saying was you need to have a meeting with yourself sometimes. Uh, I've heard another guy say it this way. You need to have a staff meeting with yourself. You need to bring your brain. You need to bring your will. You need to bring your emotions. You need to bring your heart. Uh, everything that makes up you, which is pretty complex, if you've noticed. You even struggle to fight against yourself sometimes. You need to just say, hey, look, we're going to have an executive meeting here with myself. And we're going to put the Bible first. We're going to put God's stuff first. And so, so anyway, uh, this is what we're going to do now is turn to Romans chapter 8. So if you'll go with me to the Epistle to the Romans and chapter 8, you'll be reminded as you're turning there that, that this epistle is the longest of the Pauline epistles. We call them Pauline epistles because uh, we believe Paul wrote them. And so his name is attached to every one of the ones that we call Pauline. And so this is the largest, and really the epistles move from largest to smallest. Uh, and so the general epistles, which is starts with Hebrews, is going to be the longest one of that section of your Bible. And so I just want to kind of educate you a little bit on how your Bible is set up, because it's kind of important. And so this one is actually the longest one. It's the first one. It's the first epistle we come to. And normally when you get the first book of a section, that's, that's important. So like Job is very important to, these, to the uh, poetical books. Um, you get Genesis, which is very important to the uh, Pentateuchal books, the Pentateuch. And so here you get, um, you get Romans. And we've been in Matthew for quite some time over the past few weeks, four or five weeks. Now we move to Romans. I, I just, you know, you're going to see an abrupt change. Whereas when you're reading gospel, when, you know, my reading will normally be 10, 15 verses. You know, that's not a big deal. It's part of a narrative and you've got to read the whole thing. Whereas with Paul, you can hang with three verses like we're going to do today, and you can hang there for the rest of your life and still not understand him. Uh, even Peter in 1 Peter says, our brother Paul has some things that are very difficult to understand. So if Peter had trouble doing it, and he was uh, a straight disciple of Jesus Christ, then uh, we're probably also going to have some trouble with some of the things that, that uh, Paul said. So let's dive in to the deep end this morning by reading from Romans chapter 8, which Romans chapter 8, uh, it's almost like picking up at the climax of the story. This is, this, is the, this is the peak right here in Romans 8. So notice these words starting in verse 9 of 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You so much for Your holy Word. 
make it holy to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one recurring phrase that you're going to find if you're going to read Paul. It's in you. (laughs) Even here in three verses, you have it said multiple times. In the Spirit. In you. Christ in you. If the Spirit dwells in you, and then finally, who dwells in you. All in three verses. Why the repetition? Because it's important. He's not wasting uh, papyrus as he's writing. He's not wasting air as he's preaching. Christ must live in us. The Spirit of God must be in us. Now that's elementary as far as Christian theology, and yet, how far removed is it from some of our lives? From some of our thinking? We think the Holy Spirit concept is a concept. No. The Holy Spirit is person. As personal as Jesus is, so too is the Spirit. As personal as the Father is, so too is the Spirit. And just because Father and and, and Son is a relationship that we can make a little more sense of than Holy Spirit, doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is less personal. He is not. You never speak of the Spirit as it or a concept. The Holy Trinity is not a doctrine. That is God who is personal who gives us personhood. So, before we get started, there's already huge tracks of of misunderstanding in understanding the Holy Spirit. And so this is why in the Creed, you have a very clear third section that simply says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't know how big that was. I'm not going to take the time this morning to unpack that for you. That was a 300-year discussion. And it came down to those words which were set in stone, if you will. We believe in the Holy Spirit. So, He must be in us. And there you go with you the next misunderstanding. Well, that's just too weird for me. Someone in me? How does that happen? And the mind begins to struggle to understand. And I just want to um, encourage you that even Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they believed that good philosophy, good thinking, did not start with just logic but rather with awe, A-W-E, and wonder. That's what we just sang about. Awe and wonder. I read it and I was, yes! But how many of us look at our Christian life with awe and wonder? 
see God as majestic. Not describable. We always, you know, us Americans, we like to describe everything. We, I mean, now our toys are so descriptive, there is no imagination room. It's one thing and it can't be another. Justin and I could make a box of anything. Of anything of a box, sorry. You know, we, we didn't have to have something that looked like a gun. We would make a gun out of cardboard. And it was awesome. And granted, G.I. Joe had guns that were specific, but we even, we even uh, tweaked those a little bit. And yet, here we are. We want to understand God rather than know Him. Rather than to experience Him. So in other words, we put a blocker up, a roadblock up, and say, if I can't understand it, and this is typical Western philosophy right here, it's not a philosophy class, but is this. If I can't understand it, it's not real. I think, therefore I am. In other words, if I don't think, then I'm not. If I can't understand it, if I can't process it, not real. Not going to happen. So it's really a trust issue, isn't it? It goes back to a faith issue, isn't it? So what I want you to do is just, I want you to, Understand, we're talking about God who gave you the brain that's trying to process the one who gave it. Just, just think about that real quick. It's like the computer trying to understand a human. Do you think that the computer, even with artificial intelligence, would ever be able to come to an understanding of what a human really was? No, because we programmed everything about the computer. Even its own creativity is within our programmability. Therefore, you could never get a computer to be a person. It's impossible. Nor can you get a person to be God. Impossible. Nor can you understand God fully, exhaustively, and completely. But that's a good thing. I used to think, that's terrible. I might as well just give up. My job is horrible. I'll never finish it. But when you're in love, you don't want it to stop. I mean... The point of your marriage is not just to simply understand the other person. Rather, it's to love. To have faith in. To be in awe and wonder of the other. I see the elbows flying. (laughs) Jessica's just too far away from me. This is where you hear the preacher preaching to the preacher. But we need to be in awe and wonder, not only of creation, but of each other. I mean, in this room, in this very room, are people that God made, specifically designed, gave life to. When I look around and all the different personalities and problems and good things and bad things mixed into one place. And you know what? He loves you. And we ought to love one another because He loves us. And He knows way more than any of us know about each other. It's an amazing thing. He created us. We're His creation. So the first thing that 
that He has power to do is to create. God has creative power. I mean, just look in... I mean, again, just take a little, little gander around the room. There's a lot of creativity in here. Amen. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Look outside. A lot of creativity. I mean, you know, I try not to ever let my students forget there's only four classes of thousands and thousands of classes at Calhoun, but God created all of those subjects. Psychology, He knows the mind. He's the one who created it. Biology, you know, you talk about Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the light. How is Jesus the truth of physics? Like, how is He a physical equation? How can He be... Um, he created it. He's the greatest mathematician ever. The greatest biologist ever. The greatest philosopher ever. The greatest teacher ever. The greatest engineer ever. You get your engineering ideas from the one who created engineering. He is creative. His power is power to create. And we ought to be in awe and wonder. And we lose that so quickly, don't we? Even, even our ability to create comes from the Creator. We are in His very image. After His likeness. Again, we'll never be Him. But we can be like Him. Just like a kid wants to be like their parents. They do what you do. They say what you say. Here comes one of my kids, Bo, in my big old clod hoppers. I wear a size 12. He's got his big old shirt on, you know. That's us. We try to be like God, and that's probably what it looks like. But that's all right. He's our Father. Dr. Kinlaw, Dennis Kinlaw, he says, he says something very helpful because I feel like we've, we've really lost the term love in our society. We've, we've just so misused it and let it be abused by the media in so many different ways that we've lost it. Here's what he says. He goes, he goes, God loves you. Yes, people have heard that. But God likes you. He actually likes you. I mean, you know, we, we even save each other. We're like, yeah, i got to love so-and-so. You know, like it's depressing. But like, when you say, man, I really like, you know, you leave a conversation, I really like that guy. Huh. I really like that gal. That's, that's God. He looks at our life, even with seeing everything. And I can't comprehend this, can you? Because I don't even like myself most of the time. I'm saying, what an idiot! Uh, more so than you know. And yet He looks at me somehow because He's God. It's who He is. And He says, I like Marshall. I like the way He is. A little weird over here, but I like that. Dumb in a lot of areas, but I like that. He's open. He wants to learn. Isn't that good news? He's created us. We need to remember that. And not only that, when we fail, and we fell far, didn't we? It wasn't just falling out of the chair. It was falling from a plane. And when we crashed, it was a disaster. It affected everybody. 
And yet, here's what He proved in His power. And we've been talking about power, if you've noticed, the past few weeks. Here's what He's proved in His power is that He can not only create, but He can recreate. That's, that's almost better news, isn't it? I mean, here's somebody and, and, and you know... Poor Jackson has, has created something before and, and his other brothers, he has three brothers, and he'll tell you himself it weighs on him at times. It's like a job. And, and they've destroyed his little thing. And I'm like, buddy, I'm really sorry, man. I guess we just had to throw it away. I mean, I can't do anything with it. But God can. God can clean up our mess. That's what He wants to do. It's why He allowed His own body to become a mess. Was to clean up our mess. He can untangle us. Untie us. Get out the knots that have bound us for so long. I believe that. I know that to be true. And when, he ha- when I haven't let Him touch that knot, it's because of my own selfishness. I say, don't, no. no that's mine. Mm. He created us in His image and we fell. Our image was marred. Became dirty. And if you read that penitential psalm of David's heart, Psalm 51. You'll see him talking about clean. You'll see him talking about purging, brushing. That's what we need. He can recreate us, his world. Isn't there going to be a new heaven and a new earth? He's going to recreate. He can bring beauty from ashes. Ashes. So when your whole life burns down to the ground like Job, everything becomes disaster. He can build it up. He still is the answer. Amen. There is no other answer but the one who can recreate. And He does it by His Spirit. Remember the Spirit makes a show right in verse 2? You can even start the Bible off before you... There's a, there's a Spirit... Because like, where's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, verse 2. <laughs> Did you ever notice? The Spirit hovering over the face of the deep, over the depths of the sea. Which is a big long story, but basically the ancient people were scared of the sea. They thought it was chaotic. And here's the Holy Spirit. <whistles> flying over in this dove image that will later be picked up in the flood story. Right. Also later on at Jesus' uh, baptism, later on when the Spirit descends on everyone at Pentecost, here He is flying over, creating. Out of chaos. of the, Remember it was without form and void? And then it became something. Spirit. The Spirit's active in creation. He's God. They all were. <laughs> And the Spirit is active in recreating the kingdom of God here on earth. So, when Jesus meets the demonic, like we saw last week, that's the Spirit 
confronting spirits. And the Holy Spirit always wins. He's the capital S. Everybody else is a lowercase s. Here's the second thing that He brings in power is relationships. It's relational power. Here's the cool thing about God is He is a relationship. You know, Christians believe... People are like, why do Christians believe relationships are so important? Every time you mention religion, oh, it's about just a religion, it's a relationship. Why? Because God Himself is a relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes, He doesn't act like He's alone. He's saying, I came from the Father. I'm going to the Father. I'm here so that I can leave, so that I can send the Spirit. And what the Spirit will do when He comes is actually point back to me. There's this whole relational dynamic. And so He brings power to relationships. I mean, what is life without relationships? Nothing. Because relationships bring love. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, you are nothing. It's not like if you don't have love, you know, quarter of your life will be pretty good. No, he uses the term nothing. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. Without love, everything is nothing. With love, Everything changes, doesn't it? (laughs) Even the most meager meal in India can be wonderful with love. This is what the Proverbs say, right? Proverbs, I love it because Thanksgiving's, you know, it'll be around here before we know it. Here's what the Proverbs say. I love this. It says, A crumb with a friend is better than a feast in a house of contention. (laughs) <laughs> you ever had a big spread, this awesome, nice, you went to a nice restaurant, and then so-and-so shows up from the family. <laughs> Destroys everything. I'm done with this meal. But then, if you just have a piece of bread to share, but it's shared with someone that you love, what does that mean? It means everything, doesn't it? Relationships are Everything. Doesn't Jesus say this? The two greatest commands, love God, love your neighbor. It sums up everything in the Bible, Jesus says. Relationships. It's what makes stories so good. Imagine reading a story without relationships. That's what we call a textbook. Even history can't be told without relationships. Actually, history is not just dates and times and places. It's a story. Hence, history. The movies that you love, you love them because of the relationships in them. And the God that we love, we love Him because He's relational. He's done everything possible to get to us, to be with us. 
to be one with us. We've talked about it before and I'll remind you again, He's not just King. Yes, He's King over everything, over the universe. He's King of the world and beyond. But He's also Father. He's our Father. And He has a family. Yes, He has a kingdom, but He's also a Father that has a family. But even further, the Bible gets very clear on this. He's also our husband. We are to be married to Christ. That's what it means to be the church. A marriage is about oneness. Unity between two persons. God makes that possible. That's His design. That's His power. You want your marriage to do good? You want your marriage to survive? Then allow the power of the marriage between you and Christ to make you one. If that marriage is not going well, this marriage won't. You want to be a better father, like I do, then you must allow the Father to teach us that. What that means is sacrificial. He gives us power in our relationships. And please hear me on this. We need that. We need that. We need His power in all of our relationships. One of the most... One of the most awesome, all, again, inspiring things is to see God transform relationships. You talk about just sitting there in awe. Wow. You forgave Him of what? The last thing is... God's power empowers. He's not stingy. He likes to share everything that He has. (laughs) You know, we're stingy. I'm stingy. You know, you come to my, hey man, I want to drive your truck. I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. Here here, here you go. Um, I want to come stay over at your house for a long time. All right, come on over. You know, we're all hesitant. To share our stuff. God isn't. He loves to share His stuff. He loves to share His love. He loves to share His forgiveness. He loves to share His mercy. He's eager to share His mercy. It's why He went to the cross. He loves to share everything He has. That's why He doesn't keep His power to Himself. I'm going to keep you down. That's not the kind of king He is. He wants to empower us. We're the weak ones. Haven't you heard? Not Him. His arm is not short. He is strong to save. We're the ones who are weak to ask. Weak to seek. Because when we seek and when we ask, when we go knocking on His door, He will always answer. He never sleeps. 
Not ever. He never takes a break. In the Old Testament, people saw the power of God in special people, in prophets, in kings, in priests who were anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And they looked at those people and said, wow, they have real power. You know what? In the New Testament, which we're living post-New Testament, the Spirit is given to all people. All means all, whether it's in Greek or Hebrew. means all. Or Aramaic. It's all. Everybody has access now to the Holy Spirit. The Hebrews writer says God used to wink at their disobedience. He doesn't anymore. That's over. There is no excuse any longer. You say, woohoo, we're living in the time of the Spirit, which is all what chapter 8 in Romans is about. Yeah, that's great, but it's a responsibility. It means that you're going to be held accountable for what you did with God's Spirit. May I remind you again what Paul says here? You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you know that Pentecost power? Do you know His sanctifying power? In other words, His power to make you holy. His power to empower you. You see, here's, here's what's really, really kind of just, again, all, some, is this. Just like love... Love is not something God does on the side. It's something God is. Love is God because God is love. So too, God's power is not something other than God. God's power is a person. It's His Spirit. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? That's what I love about Trinitarian theology. I just hate to break that out, but I have to. I love it. I mean, how awesome is that? God is not just handing us something out of His pocket and saying, okay, here's some, here's some energy for you. Here's a five-hour energy drink. You'll be good to go. No. No, no, no. He doesn't offer five-hour energy. He offers Holy Spirit energy and power. The kind of power that blows through your life. Haven't you read Pentecost? Places place is whirling around like a tornado, blowing stuff all around. Some of us need stuff blown out of our life. Fire. That's the image, to burn up stuff in our life that doesn't need to be there. Purge it. We need His life. Breath. That's what spirit means, Breath. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We, just as we breathe in air and out air, so too we must breathe God. 
He's got to be in us again. The Bible, this is not metaphorical. This is not a figure of speech. When you read epistles, you don't look for a lot of figures of speech. They're very rare. Illustrations, yes, but not figures of speech. It's not poetry. When he says the Spirit must be in you, and when he says it, what, six or seven times in three verses, that's a very serious matter. So you can see where the conclusion of this is. Is the Spirit living in you? You say, well, how in the world am I supposed to know that? Look at the fruits of your life. It's very simple. What are you producing in your life? You're already a tree. Now, you can be a barren tree. You can be a tree that is producing deformed apples, bad apples. My my dad has all kind of bad fruit that he grows. I I don't know what's going on. Um, Sorry, Pop. But... uh, That's some of us, isn't it? We're producing bad fruit. Fruit that's not edible to anybody. People, it looks like it's good. You, on the outside, you look great. But when people take a bite of you at work, when they taste you out shopping, it's bitter. Angry. Lost. When you are in the vine, you'll only produce good fruit. As John 15, it's just that simple. And yet, it's very difficult, isn't it? To stay and remain in the vine. He says remain in the vine. Notice the term dwells in you. Not just in you. Dwells in you. Lives. Makes His home in you. Have you experienced that kind of power? Have you experienced His relational power in your life? Do you know that creative power? Even to recreate things in your life. It is an absolute beautiful thing. Now, we're going to sing about the power of God one more time. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit directly. In other words, don't just, don't just say, let me just do a self-inventory here. No, no, no. The best person in your life to know your inventory and beyond is going to be the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to take five seconds to say, Holy Spirit, show me what you want to do in me. Holy Spirit, show me what you want to do in me. Can you say that with me and mean it as a prayer? Holy Spirit, show me what it is you want to do in me. Let's all stand. Let's sing. If you're going to sing, sing with power and victory. If you need to pray, pray for victory and power. Amen.